welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So the next sequel that we're going to be covering is The Predator, the one that came out a few years back. I never saw it, so this is going to be so fun to review a movie that I never saw. I think I maybe saw the trailer. I know the cast was great with Olivia Munn and also Keegan-Michael Key and a bunch of other people. Shane Black directed it, so that'll be a lot of fun to cover. And I got to interview a face that I've seen so much over the years. One movie, movie we covered, The Fly 2, Scorby himself, one of the most vile bad guys in that movie, actor Gary Chalk, a guy that I've seen so much over the years. But when I was doing my interview prep, man, his voice work over the years is unreal. Camp Candy, loved that as a kid. He did a ton of voices on that over the years. He worked on G.I. Joe. He worked on so many shows I think he said over like 1,500 Double Dragon. Man, I love Double Dragon. Oh, my gosh. I'm scrolling through his IMDb because there's just so much while I'm recording this because, man, he's done so much. And I'll put his IMDb in the notes so you can look through and be like, man, him and that and that. Yeah, so I love talking to Gary. We talked a lot about Freddy versus Jason because he knew Ken, who we just talked to, who played Jason. So he had some great stories about that and Kelly Rowland doing a favor for him. And how he got into the biz, because if it wasn't for a huge financial crisis that happened in the 70s, he would have stayed in the you know finance business. But thankfully for him and for us, that didn't happen. And we got to see and listen to his amazing career over the years that he's not stopping. The guy has been, been working nonstop, whether it be acting, voice acting, or he does ads. You gotta When he gets into his ad reads, man... The way he can turn it on a switch into that other voice, for him it's probably nothing. For for me, I was getting so giggly. You'll hear it. I think I edited some of that because it's annoying, but I loved it so much. Man, I love talking to Gary. So before I start the interview, if you're new here, welcome. If you've been here before, you smell great. That perfume's so good. Oh my God, where'd you buy it? Let me know. You can let me know on all of our social media, at sequels only. And then subscribe wherever you're listening and rate us. Rate us four, five, 20 stars, as many stars as you feel. We love what we do. And the more ratings we get and subscriptions, the higher we get and more people can check us out. I don't know. We have so much fun doing this. We ask that as a huge favor. If you do it, great. If not, we get it. But please do it. (laughs) So without further ado, here's actor, voice actor, ad reader, Gary Chalk. Well, Gary, this is awesome, man, because a lot of times you don't know. Like I talked to a few different voice people you probably worked with over the years. One, Neil Ross, which I'm sure you cross paths with. Probably cross paths with, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times you don't put the face behind because you're on TV too. You do both, you know, the voice and in front of the screen. So like I know you from so many different things like Fly 2 and – uh, Freddy versus Jason, but your voice credits are unbelievable. What was the first journey for you? Were you go first credit was voice, right? Uh, my first credit was film. Oh, okay. It was called, there was, I can't remember what it, I think it was called uh, a man, a woman in a bank. And it was with, uh, James Colburn. Oh, nice. That's a good way to start. And it was directed by a fellow named John Gillerman, who did a movie called The Towering Inferno. Yeah. Yeah. 
that guy. So it was that that was my first movie. It was the first movie that I actually had lines in, <laughs> and it was uh, um, 1981, maybe. I had a film before that, but I didn't have any lines that I can remember. It was called uh, The Gray Fox, 1980. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's another one right around that time, too, Mr. Patman. Were you just play looking a policeman? Looking for Mr. Patman. That was the other one. No, Man and Woman at the Bank with Donald Sutherland. Oh, That's okay. That's who it was. Uh, the, looking for Mr. Patman was uh, the one with uh, James Coburn and uh, Gillerman. And it was uh, it was pretty exciting. I was, uh, I was, there's a guy who I just like my idol when I was a kid. Yeah. And here I am sharing, doing a scene with him on this movie. And I'm just sort of gobsmacked, but it was pretty cool. And that was way back then. And uh, since then, you've been doing a lot. So how did it all start, Gary? Where did you grow up? I grew up here in Vancouver. Oh, nice. uh, Vancouver, Canada. And uh, I was born in the UK. I came over here when I was about five, I guess, five or six. I was just a kid. And um, I've always lived here. I had a brief stint in in Hollywood and a brief stint in... uh, in Ottawa for a couple of years, I was there. I just was in in uh, Los Angeles for a little bit. I wanted to sort of make some inroads, but I really didn't like the vibe, so I just stayed home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it worked with the boom of uh, Vancouver. Like in the right around the time you started, like a little bit after that is when that all happened. But why did you? Uh, what made you pursue this uh, this dream of being, you know, on TV oh, and being film? On film and TV. Well. I was always a performer. I was a musician first. I, I liked playing music, and uh, I did a lot of theater uh, when I was younger. You know, I had my first taste of uh, being on stage when I was about nine, I guess. And, and I sang in a choir when I was 12 on uh, TV on the Ron Morier Saturday Dance Party. And... Uh, that got me hooked. I just, I just loved it. But I thought it was just for fun because I never got paid. So I was, yeah. it was just for fun. So I, I did musicals at at high school and and you know the usual things. But uh, I never thought of doing acting as a career. And then um, I was working as a, a stock trader at the stock exchange uh, in my early twenties. And the market just tanked and uh, a lot of us got laid off and I was one of them. And I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do now? So I went back to college and what I wanted to do was be an English literature teacher and and an anthropology teacher. I just loved anthropology and literature. So I uh, went and I did very well. I got, you know, I was almost a straight A student in that. And I thought, well, this is cool. I like this. And then for one of my lit projects, I had to go and watch a play downstairs. I had never really watched a play before. Oh, I meant, no, that's a lie. I watched a show called The Ecstasy of Rita Joe, uh, or, or sorry, The Grass and Wild Strawberries. And the only reason I watched it was because there was a band named Chilliwack who was playing the music, and I loved the band. And a guy who I knew named Chief Dan George was the star of the play. And I thought, I got to go see this. So I went and yeah. saw it. And that was pretty exciting. But then I'd never seen, I'd never actually been to a play, like a play. And I went and saw a play at Studio 58 at Langara called Of Mice and Men. 
and it was so good and the production value was so good and the acting was fabulous and i, I said that's what i want to do <laughs> i'm going to do that so yeah. i went and i auditioned for the program for the theater program there and uh there was a fellow who ran it a british guy named anthony holland who was a pretty well-known actor at the time and um i i auditioned for him at a russian hall i think it was called the russian hall or the scottish hall and uh he was reading a newspaper and i was doing my audition i was acting my face <laughs> off and and uh he looks up and he goes well you got some talent not much but some all right thank you and then i was in <laughs> So I got into this marvelous two-year program and it was very intense and there's lots of shows. And I didn't realize at the time they only left, let in 15 people per term. Wow. For this, from across the country. So I thought, well, well, this is pretty cool. But anyway, uh, I, when I graduated from, from there, only three of us graduated out of the class of 15. We lost them by attrition or whatever, but I, I had to stick with it. I nearly got kicked out of school for tearing a strip off a teacher one day and uh, <laughs> a French teacher. And, and Anthony called me into his office today. He said, they want me to throw you out. But I'm not going to. But don't do it again. And I said, okay, I won't. <laughs> I was doing a musical review called Jacques Brel's Alive and Well Living in Paris. And it was the only play at the school that was held over after we graduated. So they had to pay us <laughs> not a lot, but they had yeah. to pay us because the, it ran, it would sold out every single performance. It was just a wonderful show. And, uh, I got the best reviews I've ever had. Uh, wow. I got a review from CBC national radio that said, uh, this guy, Gary chalk is a phenomena. I don't know how, I don't know where, but somehow Jacques Brel must have known he was alive and wrote these songs just for him. And I went, okay, okay, I'm ready. And they've got people, you got to go to Broadway. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I'm going, no, I want to, I'm going to hang on to do some plays. So I did some plays and finally got my first taste of being on set with a film, which was, funnily enough, an industrial film for a department store on bagging groceries. <laughs> and the other one was for operating a dishwasher for the white spot chain. And it was just me. And when you use the L500 dishwasher, one of the most important things, you know, the things we do. That's great. And uh, I, I really liked it. And uh, then I got into a, like a real movie, which was the Mr. Patman. And my big breakthrough, I did some TV shows, and, you know, but that my big breakthrough was, believe it or not, The Fly 2. Yeah, Scorby. Be because Scorby was voted most popular character by some the critics down in San Francisco or down in California. They loved my villain. So when that show went onto the big screen, I got calls from Paramount and and uh, and uh, Metro MGM and all those all these people. They're they're going, 
yeah, yeah, no, no, this guy's this guy's cool. And uh, they wanted me to play Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. They wanted me to play her husband in uh, that series, that television series. But they, as soon as they found out I was a Canadian, boom, it all went down. Because they didn't want to go through the hassle of going through the uh, the one which was a really laborious and long, long time process. So I stayed home, but I still worked a lot. I I got another big breakthrough after that was with uh, Farrah Fawcett. I did a, a a mini series with her called Small Sacrifices, which was a very critical, big critical success. And then again, the phone calls start coming <laughs> again. Oh, he's a Canadian. So who is this guy? Where are they? But is it just I, is it was it just paperwork, or they had to pay something for it? Or uh, well, it's it, it, to get that that O one. It it costs altogether. If you do it yourself, it costs about fourteen thousand dollars because you have to do you have to get all these letters and recommendations and and blah blah blah. And they just didn't want to go through the hassle yeah. of doing the O one or the uh, the uh, work work permit. But and, but now it would be easy for me to get a work permit because I have national recognition because I have two awards, national awards. But because of those awards, but because now it's too late. I'm seventy, you know, so <laughs> I, I don't really want to go to Hollywood anymore. <laughs> you know, all I want to do is just uh, you know hang out at home, work on shows for a little while, and then just come home. Yeah, you know. But uh, I mean, I liked it when I was in Hollywood, but you know, I, I really didn't get a a large charge out of the scene there because it was a very, it's a very weird, you know, it's a weird place, Hollywood. People look at you and they go, what have you done? What are you doing? What do you got coming up? And why wasn't I called? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so you just sort of go, okay, I'm going to stay here. But uh, yeah, no. I, as I as I looked at you know four hundred over four hundred shows. And... Yeah. So back to like the the Vancouver because you were there in the boom. Like it's funny whenever I talk to people that are from or around Can- uh, Vancouver when that boom yeah. started when it came with filming like Twenty One Jump Street, Wise Guy. So you're the pilot yeah. of that. Yeah. So there's all of these shows that are booming at that time. And it's so funny. Like you got to think you were, you had that great review by CBC international and the thing that makes you break, not like it's good or bad or anything, but Scorby and fly Two. Now, one thing I wanted to ask about that movie was your death scene is so vicious looking. How, how much were you? Yeah. 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 Was that you the whole time? And then they just had you on a, on a bed or something. Yep. John Thomas was one of the greatest wire guys, one of the good special effects guys. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you ever saw a movie Cliffhanger. Oh, yes. He did He did all the wire work. You know that wire where the woman falls yeah. to her death? Well, she actually fell on a decelerator, and she, she stopped about six feet from the ground. Insane. And she actually fell the whole way. So it was quite amazing. But he was such an amazing guy with wires. But he had this rig set up. If you if you watch the show, he had a rig set up where my bottom half was the, like fake legs uh, with the jacket. And then they had me on this sort of uh, Catherine's wheel thing. And the top half was real. 
And what they did is they 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 had it on a on a wheel, and they had all like twelve puppeteers around it, all puppeting, you know, making the uh, monster kill me. And uh, I mean, it was great, quite funny because as he's strangling me, I'm going, "How come I never get a goddamn love scene?" <laughs> Under my breath. But uh, and then they just twisted the wheel, <laughs> so it looked like I'm breaking it, broken in half. And it was. Uh, it was amazing and it looked great, but it took hours and hours. I don't know how many times, you know, the coordinating the monster. And <laughs> I went upside down and up and upside down and up. I got off that rig. I walked five steps and I promptly threw up all over the floor. <laughs> I got so nauseous. It was just awful. <clears throat> but it was the most fun, that movie. It was the greatest one of my best film experiences, I think. Now, one, I mean, all my film experiences are pretty good, but that one really stuck out as one of the best. And that was a, it was a hallmark or landmark for me because I was the first guy in Vancouver to get a lead role in an American feature film. Wow. Because usually we're just a back lot, you know, and, and uh, back then we were still kind of a back lot. Uh, but people were starting to get recognized as uh, good actors. And uh, now it's a whole different story. Now the uh, Vancouver is recognized as one of the major production centers in North America. I mean, next to, uh, next to Toronto is Toronto, Los Angeles, Vancouver, New York, you know, and um, actually there's sort of a joke going on and they refer to Hollywood now as Vancouver South. Vancouver South. <laughs> <laughs> because of all the productions. But that that fly to actually really launched my career. And it was uh the people were wonderful. I'm still friends with the director, Chris Wallace, who's now yeah. retired. He makes uh I don't know if you've ever gone to his uh Facebook page or anything, but he makes still makes uh monster models and uh he makes these weird sort of monster trains, like model trains from oh, scratch. That's awesome. They're, oh, just if you go, just look up Chris, I'll check it Chris out. Wallace. He makes some amazing stuff. Was that his first direct? Yeah, his first directing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I forgot what movie he worked on just before that. I think he was supposed to do the creatures. I think he was doing Ghostbusters? Like- no. Or no, uh, 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 Gremlins. Gremlins? Yeah, because he was supposed to do Gremlins too, I think. But he chose to, he got the gig to do Fly 2. And that's how Rick Baker got the job on Gremlins. Yeah, I remember that sort of connections. But Chris designed all the Gremlins. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of cool when you see them. And uh, and I a great story about that. I I was in a, a hotel in Cannon Beach in Oregon. Oh, I used to live in Oregon. Cannon Beach is beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Well, I was at the the um not the seaside. It's called the Seaside Villa. No, not Seaside. It's in Cannon Beach. The Hallmark. It's called the Hallmark Hotel. And it's right by uh, Haystack Rock. Yeah, I love it. And I remember sitting in the hot tub and there was a woman there and uh and a guy and her husband and their kid. And the woman said, Oh, I know you, you're that guy, you were on that movie. And I said, Yes, hi. How are you? And she goes, "Oh, this is fantastic." And uh, and uh, the kid says, "I remember. Yeah, you do cartoons." And I said, "Yes, I do." And he goes, "Can you send me a souvenir?" And I said, 
I'll see what I can do. So I took their address and um, I went to Chris and I said, do you have any rejects in your, in the, from the transportation teleportation pods? Do you have any like the inside out cat or something like that? And he goes, yeah, you can have that. I said, what? Oh yeah, you can have it. And I said, shut up. So I put this thing in a box. It's a, it's a cat, but it's inside out. It's just gross. It's monstrous. And I put it in this box and I sealed it up and I said, caution, monster in box like this. So I sent it off and the parcel arrived at uh, the kid's house in, in Oregon, but mother opened the box first and flipped out, started screaming like a maniac because it looked pretty real. And uh, the kid goes, what's the matter? What's the matter? And, she, and he looks and he goes, cool, he sent me my monster. <laughs> That's amazing. So I get a letter from this kid back to my house. And it says, dear Mr. Chalk, thank you for this wonderful present. The monster was fabulous. I took it to school for show and tell. <laughs> a kid wanted to buy it off me for $100. And I said, no. Your friend, Jonah. That's amazing. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That's like a lifetime that. story. Like, that's so cool when people do stuff like that. That's so awesome. You actually follow through. That's great. Oh, yeah. Follow through and just do it. And it was just, oh. And since then, I mean, I I don't know how many uh, uh, television shows and movie shows and uh and uh, cartoon shows. I think I've done about, I don't know, 2,000, 1,500 cartoons, I guess. Yeah, probably. Somewhere around there. It's quite a bit. Yeah, so they, they, they sometimes they sort of blend. I know there was one movie that uh, everybody was saying, oh, I saw you in that movie. And I said, what movie? And he went, it was a movie called Three Weeks, Three Kids. And I said, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> And he goes, no, you were in it. I says, I was? And he goes, yeah, you yeah, were in it. And I said, I, come on. I, I, I have no idea. I had no idea that I did this movie. And it was just on last week on TV, on uh, uh, Showtime or something. And I, and I look, well, shit almighty, I am in it. That is that. me. <laughs> I'm in, I am in this movie. That's so funny. But it was very surprising because it's kind of a, a kind of a comedy with... Uh, What's her name? Uh, Eliza Cuts Cut Cuts. Oh yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I can't remember her name, but um, yeah, she was uh, she was very nice, and uh, the whole show was quite quite cool. But after uh, you watched it, then then the memories kicked in. The real oh the, yeah, the, like the it was a lot acid, of fun. Like the acid flashbacks. You're like, oh, okay, you know what? I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, it was great. But that that Freddy versus Jason was that was hilarious. I got some great stories about that. Oh yeah, well we'll get uh, to that. One thing I wanted to ask was so I so Fly Two I assume was filmed in Vancouver. Yes, it was. Okay, and it was a big deal. I think the budget on it was twenty twenty three million or twenty four million, which was a big deal back then. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And um, they built the the set itself. I think cost about two million because that was all real, you know, elevator and all that stuff that you saw. You know, the big uh, control room scene. You know where the where the the fly goes through the mon- yeah. through the window. 
that was that was another trip that was fun but uh the 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 effects in those days everything was practical there were no cgi right i love that so when you see that guy get killed by the elevator oh that's the best we were standing right there all of us watching this and everybody got completely grossed out because it looked so real and the sound of it (laughs) (laughs) and then my friend my friend played the guy with the melting face remember that when he goes like this he pulls his face off do you know how they did that? No. That was the that was done by Stéphane Dupuy, who was the, the head effects makeup artist there. And he ran an Oscar for uh for Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think. Oh, okay. for the makeup on Raiders of the Lost Ark. So what they did is they built on this guy the bone mask, a mask of bone with the jaw, you know, with the teeth. And then they built a, a muscle mask. And then they sewed little uh, uh, little tubes of blood, and then little strings all through the through the mask. And then they put the skin mask on top of it like oh my that. God. And then they attached the strings to the tips of his fingers. So he he goes like this. He goes ah, and he starts pulling his hand and his face falls apart and it looks so great ah and it was all practical it was just it was just incredible and then they made a when i died you know when they they when the monster stepped on me a little puff of smoke comes out of my (laughs) comes out of my mouth (laughs) that that was out of the uh they made a life cast of me and they and that actually happened it wasn't there was no effect he stepped on it and this puff of smoke came out of the mouth of it (laughs) And so another side story to that. Yeah. I go in, I go into, well, it's a couple of great stories. I go into a makeup store years later and it's called act one. And I went in the store cause I was getting some stage makeup and I looked up and there's my head. It's sitting on a shelf in the store. <laughs> and I I said, where'd you get that? He says, oh, that was given to me by the production. And I I said, that's me. And he goes, is it? And I said, yeah. And he said, I said, look, he takes the head down and we put it side by side and they're identical. And he goes, holy shit, it's you. And I said, yes, it is. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? He says, can you sign it? And I said, yeah. So I signed my head, put it back on the, and then somebody stole it. Oh no! That was expensive. That that costs so much money for that head to make the life cast because it's so yeah. perfect with the wig. I think it was around eight or nine thousand dollars. Jesus! But, oh, I know they're expensive to make, but it was sitting there and somebody stole it, and then they recovered it again. But I don't know what happened to it after that. But and then there was a time with um, there's a part in the movie where I got sprayed by the fly and my hand got dissolved. Yeah. Well, Stefan, that took like an hour or so to put that makeup on. But they did the same thing. They put a built bone in my hand, and then they put tendons, and then they put uh, the skin over top, and then they cut the skin away so that the tendons were showing. And then they put Eno, you know, Eno, 
Eno, what's bubbly, that? Bubbly, 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 Eno. Oh, Alka yeah, yeah. Seltzer. They put yeah. Alka-Seltzer on my hand. And then uh, they put, uh, oh, sorry, before that, they had the, the fake blood underneath, the, the sugar blood underneath. And then they put the Eno on the top of my hand. And then just before they shot, I go like this. I go, ah, like that. They spray it like this with uh, red red watercolor uh, yeah. and water. And the Eno all fizzes up like it's like the acid dissolved in my hand. I'm going, ah, like this. Oh. It looks so cool. That's so cool that there's those items that are like you can buy at the store that look amazing on film. Oh, incredible. And then I had a lunch break on that day. I had a lunch break and I they, I was asked to um, to do some commercials for A&W because I used to do all the A&W commercials. A&W, you know, the old, the new A&W teen burger. 12 beef, patted lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. You know, and I used to do those, a lot of them. And we used to write them too. And, uh, and so I didn't want to take my makeup off because I had to go back to work, but I wasn't going back to work for several hours. So I said, well, can I go down and do the shoot the, or record these commercials? And he goes, sure, go on, piss off. So I get in the car and I have to be very careful with it. So I get in the car, <laughs> I get to the studio and there's a studio called Pinewood. And it's all this kind of rough wood in, on the inside. And the producer of the commercials, who I've been working with for a long time, I, I, I walk in and I slam my hand against the door. And I go, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she looked, she just about fainted dead away. She goes, oh, my Christ's sake, what's happened? What happened? What happened? I said, I know, just pretend. She goes, oh, my God, I look so real. And she slapped me <laughs> for scaring her. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But, uh, uh, oh man, there was a lot of, that was so much fun on that show. We had a yoga classes. <laughs> we had acupuncture. We had this thing called the, the, there's this guy, Bucky, who was the uh, lighting guy. Oh, Bucky, yeah. Script. No, he's pretty famous. He was in, yeah. he in Halloween 4, and he put his yeah. name in the movie on the yeah. on the guy's the, shirt. With the Illumilords. Bucky and the Illumilords. <laughs> well, Bucky and his crew built a swimming pool with tiki lamps and torches and, and uh, whatnot outside in the studio parking lot. And it had, you know, lounge chairs and everything because we shot all summer. Yeah. And it, and it was called Electric Beach. <laughs> and at lunchtime, everybody would go diving into the pool and go swimming. <laughs> and I couldn't do that, of course, because I've got prosthetic makeup on, so I can't do anything. I just have to watch the other kids play. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, this is a good segue. You mentioned like the A&W and doing the, the the ads for that. How did you get into doing voiceovers? How did that start? Oh, um, well, I uh, I w- w- when I was still in theater school, um, the head of the program, Anthony Holland, had friends who had a, uh, some 
things that they needed advertising for. And he said, I had a great voice for this. Um, would you voice these commercials? And I said, yeah, sure. So I went and, and uh, <laughs> it was commercials for like Sunny Rest Nursing Home. It was a nursing home, <laughs> some nursing home commercials. So I did that and they paid me and it was nice. And uh, but when I really got into it was when I went to um, Ottawa with my wife, my wife and I, or my ex-wife and I got seconded to Ottawa for for her job. So I thought, well, I can work here in the theater and I can work in Montreal and Toronto. So why not? Uh, but I ended up working a lot in Toronto in, in Ottawa because they did a lot of voiceover for um, government voiceovers, you know, like the leave reporting system or SRS, the, you know, the FN C1, C1, A1 or A1, C1 semi-automatic rifle, you know, it's all these things. And um, <laughs> one day I was, I got called into this uh, studio called sound ventures and um the 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 guy who ran the place is an old radio guy from Chum Radio named uh, uh, Chuck Rubin, and I'm I'm naming him because he's so great. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Chuck, I, I got called in to do a commercial for the Ottawa Citizen. Anyway, the Ottawa Citizen for the latest and greats in sports, news, and entertainment. But I didn't do it. The Ottawa Citizen for the greats in sports, news, and entertainment, uh, and. Um, of course, the Ottawa Citizen, they liked their old guy who had the breathy voice. And uh, uh, Chuck said to me, they don't like it. So I got fired from that voiceover. So I, I, I've i never been fired before. So I, I, I said, look at Chuck, I'll tell you what, if you can help me out with this, make me, uh, if we can, you know, teach me about the different kinds of reads and uh, make me a demo, I'll do your next commercials for free. And he goes, deal. So I, he did. He taught me about man in the street, corporate reads, retail reads. Remember last year, running around the last minute looking for the right Christmas gift. You know, <laughs> you know, only ninety nine ninety nine. It can be yours for ten dollars a month and over thirty six months OAC. You know, all those things. And uh, he taught me all these different reads: the breathy read, the close and intimate read, the big loud centurion, the mud pit read. You know, all those different things. And uh, we made a demo. And sure enough, I did his commercial for free. And it was for the Canada Revenue. <laughs> and that that tape, that first year, I think it made me like $15,000. Wow. Just uh, doing that. And oh, since that time, I've done a lot of commercials and a lot of voiceovers for different things, including cartoons. And it's uh, made millions. So that 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 lemon turned into a huge swimming pool of lemonade, you know. So so what I'm what I've always said is said never say die. And the other great thing about doing those industrials and some of the stuff that I did in Ottawa was that I I uh, honed my film chops, you know. But you know because you, you use the same principles, the the content is different, but the principles are the same. So I learned about film acting and learned about about hitting your marks and doing all that stuff perfectly. And and then I got a call one day, I think it was about 1983, got a call from my agent there who said, hey, can you do a cartoon? Have you ever done a cartoon? And I said, no. 
I'd love to do a cartoon. And she goes, well, okay, there's a cartoon audition for you at a place called Atkinson Film Arts. And Atkinson Film Arts are the guys who created um, Fritz the Cat, no, yeah. Heavy Metal. They did Fritz the Cat, Heavy Metal, The Man Who Skied Down Everest, all those kind of shows. And I thought, okay, cool. So I went over there and I auditioned for this uh, cartoon called Hiawatha. And I ended up getting several roles on it, including Hiawatha. Yeah. So, so I went, oh, this is fun. And I had a great time and doing the cartoon. I, I recorded by myself. I didn't realize you could do it on Samba. We were just <laughs> by myself. And I, I got my check and I went, oh, okay, I want to do this. That was for Nickelodeon. And you can actually find it on YouTube. It was my first cartoon. Oh, I got to check it out. That's great. I had such a young voice. <laughs> but um, yeah, my uh, the, my friend Candace Santora, who um, she handles all my fan page stuff and all the, uh, you know, what I've got coming up and everything. She found it and she put it on my uh, fan page on Facebook. Oh, That's cool. pretty cool. I, and I, cause I play, I play Hiawatha and I also play Mujikiwis, who's the, his father, the God. And um, it's, it's kind of nifty. So, but it was my first cartoon anyway. So I came back to Vancouver and ever since I got back to Vancouver and, and started doing more commercials and uh, got my first booking in a cartoon show. And it was uh, GI Joe and up playing metal head and pathfinder and sci-fi and a bunch of others. And then, and, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Kissy Fur and uh, uh, He-Man, Master of the Universe. And, and uh, what was that show? Uh, Cecil, the C6, Beanie and Cecil and uh, Captain Nintendo. And there, was just, and there was one after the other. And it just sort of blend, you know, they all blended. I just couldn't remember them all. And, <laughs> and I kept doing them all over the years. And I'm still doing cartoons to this day. And uh, then the movie stuff was doing a bit, you know, television things, small things, because it was Vancouver backlot. And then I booked this, that Fly 2. Yeah. And, and when I booked Fly 2, everything changed. Because the roles were getting bigger. Casting directors were seeing me for bigger and better roles. And, uh, and I never stopped working since then. And in the 90s, it was just... It was insane. It was just insane. You know, you just, not only was I doing a, a whole pile of commercials every day, but I was doing television and film every single day, almost working. There was one time, there was one year from July, from January until July, I worked seven days a week. Wow. Because I had like four or five different cartoon series plus yeah. doing movies and uh i never had a day off how do you do the voices do you uh did you have a recorder to remember the different ones when you went from show to show or yeah yeah i'd, I'd record all the different uh because you you get lost sometimes i'm but sure who am i doing now <laughs> and uh it was uh it was a lot of fun. It was uh, it was it was busy, busy time. There was one particular two week period. I was doing a movie called Unforgettable with Ray Liotta. Oh yeah, Chris O'Donnell and uh, David Paymer. 
and we're doing this movie called Unforgettable. And it was like two weeks of nights. And I remember that I would go to work at four in the afternoon. I'd finish at four in the morning. I'd run home, grab a couple hours sleep, get up at eight o'clock, shoot cartoons all day, (laughs) then go to the set at four o'clock, shoot to four. And it got to the point where I was like, I, if I sat down at any at any time anywhere, I was asleep. You're was asleep. Like, I was just like, it was quite embarrassing one time because I remember of, of, I fell asleep in a in a chair on the set of MacGyver, and I was I was in my chair, my cast chair, and I was, I'm just sitting there watching the action, and you hear, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> Jerry Chalk, wake up. So said, what? I'm, I'm awake. And he said, you're snoring like a goddamn banshee. Jesus Murphy. <laughs> and I went, oh, I'm terribly sorry. I, I had, I didn't even realize that I was asleep. Yeah. But I had fallen asleep. And only briefly, like 10 minutes. But, <laughs> oh, man. But, you're uh, working hard. Well, that's it. And it was, it was pretty hectic. And uh, so much fun. One one movie in between. You're doing a lot of these cartoons, like Camp Candy, which is so cool. But one oh, because yeah. of one because of who was in it. Uh, yes, Virginia. There is a Santa Claus. Bronson, like one of his. Towards the end, it's in his last five films. Oh yeah, oh Charles Bronson when we did Sea Wolf. Oh he was, yeah, he was and yes, Virginia. Yeah, well, I did two movies with him. Yeah, and the same producer, and. uh Michael Anderson directed the uh, Michael Anderson directed the um, the Sea Wolf, and I think Duke Fennedy was either the producer or the director on Yes Virginia. And that's why I broke the stuntman, the stunt coordinator's nose. Oh no! Accidentally, it was his own fault, but I broke his nose, and it was pretty bad. But my my stand, my stunt double. Who was named Tony Morelli was killing himself laughing. He was falling about. It. He said, "Yeah, snapping asshole. What do you hell? You know?" Because he was saying, "No, you got to sell that punch." I was supposed to hit Richard Thomas. He goes, "Sell that punch. Sell that punch." And I and he and says, "How much more do you want? That's pretty big." And he goes, "No, I want you to really sell it." So I went, "Wham!" like that, and he was standing right there. And I got him a hammer right across his nose like that. <laughs> Dropped him like a sack of potatoes. Oh my god, he was it was so upsetting. Because I'd I'd never heard anybody on the step before. And yeah. um that was uh that was quite something, but Tony thought it was really funny. That's but uh poor Tony, he he doubled for me for a while. He passed away about four or five years ago, I guess. But uh He's like the world champion kickboxer um, fighter. He was oh, just wow. a, amazing, yeah. And um, yeah, and yes, Virginia, that was uh, that was fun. And Charles was great. And that and that, the other one, Seawolf, that was a great that was a great adventure. We were on the on the water on a hundred year old steel sailboat for a couple of three weeks, sailing up and down Georgia Strait. And there was uh, there was Charles Bronson, there was Clive Reville, Len Cariou, Mary Elizabeth 
what's her last name? Mary Elizabeth. I should something. know it. Christopher Reeves. Uh, who else was on there? Oh, there was a few people, but it was uh, it was great fun. That was a thought, and that was uh, Chris, and they were all so good. And he was such a strong man, that Charles Branson. Yeah, holy moly. He was, uh, we actually just did a Death Wish 3 reunion with a bunch yeah. of the bad guys. So, like Alex Winter and yeah. this guy, Tony Spiridakis and Kirk Taylor, because it was Charles Bronson. It would have been his 100th birthday back in November. Yeah. yeah. Which is still wild when you think about it. He was only going to be 100, but he was still doing those like Death Wish movies. And he was in his mid 60s. The last one, he was, I think he was like 72 when he did the last yeah. one. But no, he was but, always like the bull. Oh, yeah. Always. No, I really liked him, but uh, that was that was such a fun cast. Cliverville, Len Cario was the guy who um, you you wouldn't know him, but maybe well maybe you would. But he did he played uh, Sweeney Todd, the original Sweeney oh, Todd yeah. Broadway show. He was Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd, the <laughs> Demon Barber of Fleet Street. He was the original Sweeney on Broadway. So you were talking about Catherine Mary Stewart. Catherine Mary Stewart, that's the one. And then Mark Singer was in that, too. So there was a yeah, ton of people Mark Singer. Now, I hadn't seen him in years, and I ran into him in New York at a at a, at a, uh, a convention or Comic-Con. Yeah. In New York. It had got to be like 15 years ago, I guess. That was the last time I saw him. And his sister was there, too. And then even that same year, you did another cool movie. Like, and it was like a TV movie, but The Odd Couple together again? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was uh, Tony Tony Randall and um, and uh, oh, Klugman, Jack Klugman, uh, Jack Klugman, and Jack Klugman was suffering from throat cancer at that time. Ah, that's why he had this voice. He talked ah. like this all the time. But um, I I didn't get on with Mister Randall too much. <laughs> Tony was a bit of a dick. <laughs> I. Uh, well, because I was a I was a recording engineer, and I, I'm supposed to do this whole thing, and I live in a I, I literally live in a in a recording studio. Yes, and so I know what I'm supposed to do. And he goes, "No, no, no, you, no, we don't want to do that. No, you, no, I'll do this. I'll do this." And I said, "No, I was hired to do this. I'm doing it." And he goes, "No, I'm doing it." And I said, "So what am I going to do?" Well, you just sit there and watch. And I said, Fuck you! Sorry, bleep it That's out. fine. That's fine. I got, I got mad. I, I just, what the hell? You know, that's so weird that your role is engineer, and he says, "No, I'll do it," and you just, yeah. So he took over because it was his. He was doing this commercial spot with uh, Suki Kaiser was the the character, the girl behind in the booth. Suki, absolutely lovely, lovely woman, just adored her. And uh, Steve uh, Savage Holland was yes. the director. Oh, nice. And uh, I love Steve Holland. He's just the greatest guy. And we did another show together called Beans Baxter. Yeah. Oh, you were in Remember that too. That? So I so I talked to another Vancouver. Now, like, Vancouver is a small town. Everybody should bump into each other. But Jerry Wasserman. Oh, yeah, Jerry. Okay. Yeah, I interviewed him like a while ago. And I was going to mention it before, but his uh, little scene as in the flashback of when uh, in the fly, he in the fly yeah. too, he ended up 
whoever did the special effects for his arm getting like yeah. chewed down to bone from the dog, that was on the cover of Fangoria magazine. Oh yeah, I know. His Pretty arm. Small, hey? That's so yeah. funny. Jerry Wasserman. Such a small yeah, he's a professor at the university too. He is, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. talking to him and yeah, that's great. But uh yeah, I did beans with uh with uh Steve Holland. Such a cool show. I talked to Stuart Fracken, who is Woodshop. Oh yeah. Oh, there was some funny stuff on that show, boy. I love that. And then I got I got to work with Steve Holland again. We did a movie called Big Time Movie with uh, a boy band called Big Time Rush. Oh yeah, that was like in the two thousands, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was hilarious fun. <laughs> nice. Just loved it. I uh, we just had so much fun and. Uh, the 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 guys in the band were great and it was a it was just a you know it was a, like a high school comedy right yeah i got to eat the scenery and <laughs> i played i played the head of mi6 and try some japanese torture mm. <laughs> oh it was just great fun and uh, it was a great guy to work with but there you go so more adventures everywhere no, I love it. And one another person you worked with, and I think it's so cool because it's such a obviously all the credits you did voice and acting are huge, but reboot. I talked with Michael Benier mm-hmm. and a guy that you probably have worked with so many different times and for so many episodes, but that was such a big that was a huge show. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, uh reboot was uh, I played I played uh Hack. I played Hack Turbo. Cyrus, Doc Fingers, uh, Al, and uh, who else did I play? I played somebody else in there. I can't remember who it was. But I remember. But uh, Michael was played Bob. Yeah. <laughs> and he was great. Well, I did, I did a, a little side story. I did Michael Benyar's first movie, I think. It was called Camp Nowhere or something. Or Camp Erewhon, and it was with the you know, with the Bob and Doug McKenzie guys. Oh, nice! And the guy who played, uh, did you remember say the Prince of Bel Air, the 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 black guy who had the uh, the the famous dance? Oh, Alfonso Ribeiro. Alfonso Ribeiro, that's right. Mm, yeah. I never realized what an amazing singer he was. Yeah, he's an incredible singer. He had a, a fabulous voice, but he was very funny in the movie. And uh, we did that back in 1987, I think. Wow. 87. And Benyer was just a kid. And also Venus Terzo, who was, uh, who was on that. She was uh, one of her first movies. And, and then we did another one. Thank God I'm a country boy. John Denver. Yeah, I yeah. did a movie with John Denver. And uh, there's John Denver and John Reese Davies. Oh, nice. But uh, it was great. And Denver was just the nicest man you could ever meet. Yeah. He's just the greatest guy. And on our rap party of our show, he came and gave us a concert at the, at, our, at the venue where we had our rap party. And he gave us a concert. Huh. And it was just magic. It was just magic. I just uh, just loved it. And then years later, like a few years ago, I did the story of John Denver. And I played his manager. And uh, 
Chad Lowe played John Denver, and uh, I think uh, his wife at the time, or his girlfriend at the time, or, oh no, uh, Kirsten Dunst played his uh, wife. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that was it was kind of an odd thing. Yeah, too. it's like a full circle kind of thing, you know. You yeah, work with them, and then full, and then you know, do a movie about about his life story. Yeah, so it was pretty wild. You know, one yeah. person that you've worked with a lot, and then we'll get to because I know you said you had a few Freddy vs. Jason, but uh, Lachlan Monroe, because you were in oh, a movie yeah. I've never seen until I watched it last night was Camouflage. I've never oh, even yeah. heard that movie. I don't know how, and the been- fact that. I went through like this little IMDb like kind of hole because I do that when I interview people. I watch movies, yeah. I do research, and the fact that Billy Bob Thornton was involved in writing that movie, yeah, and he used that pseudonym for it, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. But your scene, you're the, you're in the you know the first scene in the movie is so funny with you and yeah. Lachlan. Yeah, <laughs> I love Lachlan. I've done so many shows with Lachlan Monroe. It's uh, like we used to do all the disease of the week. I used to call them <laughs> movies. And I used to play a dad. Or, you know, he played the bad guy to my good guy. And uh, yeah. uh, the one of the, the a movie I, I had just done recently, a low budget. It was a low budget movie. What the hell was it? Oh, it was called uh, Road to Ithria. And I I wasn't actually in the movie, but I voiced one of the leads because he couldn't speak English or something. It was about Afghanistan. Yeah. And and I I voiced his I, I voiced his character. And it actually looks really good. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. And Lachlan was playing a US uh diplomatic guy in it. So no matter so, what, you're you're there for him. Even if I'm you're not physically him. there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Lachlan and I, I, I really like Lachlan. I, I've basically been through, been with him through most of his career. So. Yeah. No, that was like, cor- yeah. not saying the be I'm sure his beginnings were before like Dead Man on Campus and Scary oh, yeah. Movie and like Camouflage, like that part of it. But no, because you worked out on Freddy vs. Jason. I'm just thinking the the bigger ones that I remember. And then even like a few years ago, I didn't know about the Afghanistan one, but uh, Max 2, he plays the president in that movie. And Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was the CIA guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just had that little bit. And the reason I got that part it was just a small part in the movie at the beginning of the movie, I think. And the reason I got it is because the director directed a movie called Scooby Doo. It was a Scooby Doo movie, which yeah. I did. I played uh, Vice Principal Grimes. And then I did another movie with him called Christmas Story 2. Yep. Which and then he said, "Hey, you want to come and do this movie? It, it, it's called Max Two. And I said, "Sure, okay." So I went and did this that scene with the with the dog jumping over us and all that. <laughs> that was great. That was great. And Lachlan played the president. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I was just on TV the other day. Yeah. So <laughs> now it's loving camouflage that you punch him in the face. You're his manager, laughing in his face. Punch him, and then Leslie Nielsen. Starts choking out with a pool cue. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a funny guy, Leslie Nielsen. Oh my God. And he carried this bloody little fart machine in his pocket. I love time. that. That's the greatest story he, I've ever heard about him that he does that. And That's he'd be so sitting great. there and he'd go, like that. And I go, what's that? I goes, oh, sorry. It's just like this is oat brand diet of mine now. 
But, you know, he was such a serious actor in his early career. Yeah. And he became a comedian late, late on in life with, um, with airplane. Yeah. And that you know, worked. Became- I, that was like, probably, I don't know. I'm sure there's movies before that, that that happened that a serious actor really played the role and that's what yeah. made it funny. But oh. that's the one that I think changed it for comedy. Cause then you saw that movie, somebody playing, playing so serious in this role. Like, don't call, don't me, call me Shirley. Shirley. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and Police Squad. Poli- yeah. Oh, all those movies. Yeah. Wow. So, Freddy vs. Jason. Just... Oh, Freddy vs. Jason. Great Because I just talked to Ken, which is so funny. I talked to him, like, last month. And I think it was right when we first connected, and I told him that. And he was like, oh, really? But, yeah, so uh, that movie was so good. And your role was so cool because, especially when you're combining these two franchises, which they were really trying to do, for 15 mm-hmm. years, like the one that was shot in Vancouver, Jason Takes Manhattan, that was supposed yeah. to be, which Ken worked on, that was supposed to be Freddy vs. Jason, but they couldn't come to terms on it. So 15 years later, you work on that yeah. movie, and your role was cool. I thought it was so neat that you were trying to hide the secret, and Lachlan was the, yeah. the I new cop. you up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I remember that. I remember Ronnie U. I did a movie with uh, with Ronnie U. Before that, oh okay. It was called I can't remember. If it was called The Fearless Four or something like that. It was about this animated um, animals of like a muskox and camels and stuff. And they were uh, oh, it was a very strange movie. But Ronnie U. is was hilarious because they okay, you come down the stairs. I listened to him give a direction of the actress. You come down the stair. Okay. You are scared, but you're not scared, scared. Okay. So you're coming down and then you're more concerned. So there's a concern. And then you go around the corner and you say, ha, ah, I want that moment. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, he was just great. Why are you so fat? You're too fat. He just, uh, uh, what was the name of the actress, the lead actress? Uh, I should know her name. Monica Kina, that's right. And he's like, wow, you're American girl, so fat. Why are you so fat? And, goes, and she's not. She's I know, gorgeous. not at all. Not at all. But, uh, <laughs> but oh, God. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And all the uh, the, the crowds and the, the, uh, and, the killing Freddie. And, uh, oh. Great story. I got a great story for you. Sweet. For that movie. Okay. So a friend of mine, her daughter, Aliyah, I think that's her name. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. It was her 13th birthday. And uh, I had, I, I did, she had somehow found out that I was working, you know, like her mom found out I was working on the movie. And I said, oh, yeah, there's, you know, that gal from uh, Destiny's Child. Yeah. Kelly Rowan. Yeah. Kelly Rowan. That's right. Kelly Rowan. And she said, oh, she's such a huge fan of Kelly Rowan's. Can you can you uh, somehow get her to meet for her birthday? And I said, I don't know. I'll check. So I went to I went to the studio and I went to the producers and they said, oh, sure. Bring her out. So I said, "Okay." So her mother had given me a bag of like Kelly Rowan records and whatnot so that she could sign it. Right. 
unbeknownst to the daughter. The daughter had no idea. I said, I'm just going to take her to the set for the day for your birthday. You just got to look. And so I take her to the set and we're looking and we see Ken as uh, Jason. So we say hello and she takes a picture with Ken. That's that was great. great. And it was the, I don't know if, you're, if you saw the movie, but the, oh, yeah. the, you know, remember the log cabin with the log cabins on fire? Oh my God. That day you brought her? Yeah. <laughs> and the cabin's on fire and Kelly comes out and she's all covered in blood and gore like this. So the special effects guy was showing her the, the breakaway glass. So she smacked the glass over my head and shattered my head, which she thought was hilarious. And so we're sitting in, in two of the director's chairs, you know, like the uh, uh, cast chairs. And um, I see Kelly walking down and I say, Hey, Kel, what's up? And she goes, Oh, nothing. Just having a, another day, you know? And uh, I said, Kel, it's my friend here. It's her 13th birthday. Can you come and say hello? And uh, she comes over and, and, and she goes, and this is Kelly Rowan. Remember her? And she goes like this. <laughs> Oh, hi, hi, as a 13-year-old girl would do. Hi. And she says, so, yeah, so it's your birthday. She goes, yes. She goes, well, come on, girl, let's have a chat. So they went into the makeup trailer so she could clean all the gore off. And they sat there for an hour and, and just chatted. She signed all her, I got her to sign all her stuff. And... uh then we we, uh, we we were there for like, oh, I don't know, about an hour and a half, maybe or so. And then we went home. Well, for crying out loud, she talked about that day for a year. All she could think about, and there was this time, and I couldn't believe it. And there she was. She was right there. And we talked. We said, oh, it was so cool. And Kelly was so nice to her. She was just a, a doll to her. I mean, just very friendly and outgoing. So it was a, uh, it was a great little story. Yeah, that's like a forever memory. That and sending the inside out cat. <laughs> oh yeah, the inside out cat. That was a funny one. That's great. Oh man, you know, he offered me a hundred dollars, but I said <laughs> no. Your friend. <laughs> so for movies like that, when you do, you, do you have to be on set for a day like that when it's not your scene, or you just love to be around for it? No, no, I just, I asked, I had to get permission from producers and the onset production supervisor oh, okay. for safety, for safety reasons. Yeah. And I wasn't working that day, but I had access to the studio because we were at Lionsgate Studios at that day. I had access to the studio. So I just said, well, can I bring her? And she said, no problem at all. Bring her up. And that's, nice. and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And it turned out to be a great day for her. That's awesome. Day. No, yeah. I think you're going to say, if you remember that scene, I think you're going to say you brought her on the day when she starts talking smack to Freddie. Oh, no, I never. Got that. <laughs> That's how I thought the story was going to end. When you said the log cabin's on fire, I'm like, oh, man, that kid, that 13 year old kid would hear Kelly Rowland say things that she never. Thought oh, no, she, she, she never, uh, <laughs> she never heard any of that. <laughs> So it was okay. <laughs> What's a great, what a great movie, really. Like combining yeah. the fr two franchises, like in the perfect way. I think Ronnie was the perfect person to do it because everything was yeah. so fast. All the kills, really. It wasn't like elongated. It was like 
just a great movie and it's so so fast that's what i love about it oh you know what's gonna really kill you yeah are you ready <laughs> you remember the house the the house where they lived on on the street where we, on Elm Street, we went yeah. over to well the the street is actually named elm street it is that's great it's, in real life it's it's elm street in real life it's elm street it's not uh it's not a, a pretend street it's actually named elm street so in vancouver was, was that somewhere yeah, in vancouver, vancouver? Cause that house looked good. That looked like the the one that's in L. Well, sixty nine, yeah. like sixty nine hundred block Elm. It's by uh, it's around forty ninth, fiftieth, somewhere around there, just off of Granville Street. And it's in a high end area, rich rich area. Yeah, it's a pretty good house though. Good match though, hey. <laughs> yeah. Gary, this has been so cool. One thing I think it's so cool is I always love to find out how people got started and the fact that if the stock market didn't crash in 79 i think right black black yeah. tuesday in 79 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if that didn't happen you know you wouldn't have I'd you wouldn't have done any of this stuff. no i'd probably be dead of a heart attack <laughs> because of all the stress of working in that business a lot of guys who i worked with did pass away early so but um yeah i could because I, I love that business too i love yeah. the whole idea of that's where I developed the voice because when I, when I, when I, my first job in the stock market, I was what they call a board marker, where we had to write the numbers down manually on the exchange yeah. wall. And all of us is very odd. All of us are left-handed. All the board markers, every one of them was left-handed and there's like four of us. And it's just odd that one of the hiring criteria is they had to be left-handed. That is weird. And the reason why is because when they're putting up the quotes, they write like this. So ah, the okay. quote is always exposed because the trades go really, really fast. And uh, I worked on there for almost a year. And then they took me off and made me a junior trader on the floor, what they call a phone boy. And I was on the phone taking orders and then putting the orders up on the wall. And then I became a junior trader. And as a junior trader, it was my responsibility to um, exercise uh, 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 cross transactions and and buy and sell transactions and put up all the open orders for the day, open buy, open sell every morning. And uh, it got pretty hectic, you know, so you had you've got like 140 guys on the floor and they're all yelling at the same time. (laughs) Right. And I'm yelling on the bit on the bit of freehold on the bit of IHO and all this. And at the end of the day, I lost my voice. So my uh, my uh, my boss, Mr. Donaldson, he goes up to me and he goes, Gary, you got to speak from your tummy. If you don't speak from your tummy, you're going to lose your voice. So when I say on the better batter, open up and yell that number because we want to hear that voice. So I said, okay. And I got my voice back after a couple of days and I did what he said. I opened up and oh, oh like this, on the better batter. And I could yell all day. But as a result of that, when I went to theater school, I had this beautiful, well-modulated, quite wonderful voice that everybody loved to hear. 
because it sounded so great. They didn't know that I got it from yelling on the floor of the stock exchange. Do you do that when you do voice roles? Are you like, you know what, this one, I think it would sound like Mr. Donaldson, or this one would sound like Mr. Smith, my grade yeah. school teacher. They're inspired by people. Well, I had one that was Mr. Burr. Mr. Burr was, uh, well, he was, uh, he was, uh, he, he was quite a character at our school. <laughs> bit of a bit of an old school kind of character. I mimicked him and got kicked out of school for the day. <laughs> Said everybody, there's been a, uh, there's been a technical problem here. We have a problem with the furnaces, so everybody has to go home at noon. Because <laughs> I got into the office and got on the tannoy. <laughs> That's amazing. And Mr. Burr comes over and he goes, no, 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 you, no, 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 stay here, stay here. Yeah, I remember that. But, uh, yeah, no, you find some of your best voices, like, are, come from people that you, you know, that you see. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I remember there was a guy who was, he was kind of a stalker of mine and, and, um, uh, he used to come and always he'd find me and ask me questions all the time on the street. And I, I go, okay. And then I actually used his voice in a, in a cartoon called scary godmother. And uh, I said, I just want to, and, and you come up to me and it's a Mr. Chuck, Mr. Chuck. I just like to ask you a question. Just one question, please. If I could, if I could be so kind, if you could be so kind to, to answer me this, when, you were with Rat Trap in episode nine, you know, and, and so I thought, this is a great, well, oh, scary godmother, I do love to come out and play with you, but Halloween, it's Halloween, you know, so I just used that voice. But How did he find fun. you? Was this like, po- oh, is this like internet, internet age or, oh, yeah. it was, okay. <laughs> just one more question. Could I just ask one more question? Like Okay, sure. Sure. Ask away. Because I, uh, that's one thing I've never done. I've never turned anybody away. It's, uh, it's, I've been, never have. It just uh, it takes two minutes to answer a question. And totally. I know energy. So there you go. And, and, and they remember guys. it forever. Like there's probably so oh, many of those you've done over the year that somebody tells their friend at a, at a cocktail party. Be like, hey, you ever yeah. see so and so? I, I talked to him. I, I picked, you know, I grabbed his ear at a bar and I talked to him for 20 minutes or something. Oh, yeah. Well, a friend of mine, a friend of mine asked me to come and, and talk to a group of young filmmakers yesterday or last night. And oh, cool. um, so I went out and because and, they wanted to ask me about filmmaking from an actor's point of view. And, you know, what should a new how should a new director deal with with casting and deal with uh, with actors? And, and I thought, sure, I can do that. I'll do that because I've worked with a lot of different kinds of directors. Yeah. And good ones, bad ones, and and, and outright crazy ones. And uh, <laughs> But I walked <laughs> I walked in the door and everybody started clapping. I said, yeah, you're clapping, but I haven't even said anything yet. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I had a bit of a rep. And uh, so we talked for a few hours about 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 casting about directing style about acting about the process and and uh, you know all the things that have the you know, prep preparation of scripts storyboarding and all those all those things things that 
that I actually know a lot about that I didn't think I knew. Yeah. But when I get right down to it, hell almighty, I know a lot of stuff about you making do. movies. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, uh, it was quite a rewarding experience and we had a great old time. And, uh, and, uh, then they had a couple actors coming and they were going to block the actors and, and direct the actors and how they would direct it for film. And that's so, great. That was good. What would you say, yeah, so- Gary, is like the biggest difference from like way back in the eighties, like when you started acting to like now, is it like, what would you say that, is there any like difference that you could look at when you showed up on set in the eighties versus now from your perspective? Well, yeah, but for, for, for a start, um, the technology has, has made filmmaking a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, a lot. You can, you can shoot a movie, you know, what used to take several months now only takes a few weeks. Yeah. Like I remember shooting TV movies would take six weeks to shoot and now they take 14 days. So it's, or 15 days or sometimes 21 days if it's got technical or a lot of, you know, but there's just things like that. Everything's digital, digital cameras, digital lights. The, the lights are all the LEDs, and they they blend the uh, the gels within the lights, which makes it really great. And they're less expensive and not so hot. Because no. the old arc lights, it got so hot under those lights when you're on stage. <laughs> and now the LEDs, it makes it nice and cool and comfortable. Uh, the digital wireless uh, wireless microphones. I remember having to wear a big round microphone under my under my shirt with a cable that went out of my pant leg and then it stretched across the floor because <laughs> they didn't have wireless and everything yeah. was done on tape you know it's recorded on tape and also film so you only got 10 minutes of film per reel so you're always you know changing reels and uh it was um you really had to be on your on your game and know your stuff right away and uh, i found expensive. that it was um yeah, it was. You know, those things Film. cost a thousand dollars a reel, and uh, you didn't have the instant playback. You know, every it was all done by you know, you know the the, the old they do this, and this, and this, and said, "Okay, okay, this is all right. We're going to do a wide here. We're going to cut it down into a close up right here. Yeah, yeah. make that work." And that's what they would, and, that, and that's and that wasn't a joke. That's how they did it. That's how they framed. Like that. Then they got the scopey thing for the high budget things where the guy looks through his thing and he finds a different lens. Now they have an app for that yeah. called Artemis. And uh, th- there's this app that you can put it on your, on your, on your phone. It costs like a hundred bucks or something or 80 bucks. I can't remember. It's called Artemis and it mimics the lens uh, picture uh, look through of, of every kind of camera. Wow. And every lens. So if you're using Artemis or if you're using Alexis or Red or 35 mil, it'll give you all the lenses and it'll, and it'll, you'll go, okay, I'm going to put an 80 mil, 80 mil lens here for this shot. It's going to need a little bit of a help. So they click in 80 mil and that's what it looks like. And you go, oh, okay, cool. With all the that's framing awesome. for feature film and television built right in. So. It's uh, the technology these days is amazing. Um, one of the most amazing things I did uh, before I go there, um, 
one thing I found is that when I was when I first started, I was so excited going to work on set. It was just I loved the smell of it and the sound of it and the people and this organized chaos. But I took it upon myself over the years to learn the job of every single person on set. So I knew exactly what everybody did. Nice. And and why they did it and how they did it. Because you just want to know. Because when you when you walk on the set, you think, oh, it's just a bunch of people milling around doing shit. No. Every person on that set has a very specific job. <laughs> and it's uh, it's fascinating when you know what the jobs. It's fascinating to watch them work. It's pretty cool. So... There was that, and um, I was very, very excited to to be on the on the set. It was like I remember when I got the fly two, I I literally I'd be driving in my car, driving to set in the summer morning at six o'clock in the morning, and I'd be laughing my ass off, going, "Hi, I'm doing a movie. I'm doing a movie for three months, so I'm in heaven." And um, it was just, it was the most wonderful feeling in the world. And I got to tell you that even today, I still have the same excitement. It's not the newness, but I have the same excitement. The only difference is now I'm having fun because it's all like all the stuff that we do on set. It's kind of like second nature, yeah. you know? You know, all the marks and the camera and the angles, you're not you're not worried about anything. All you're concerned about is your performance and what you put on the screen. And uh, when you when you can relax into that, you don't have to be concerned about anything else over here. Just this. It's just it's so freeing and it's so much fun. And uh, that's one thing I've always said to, you know, to, to young actors. I was working with a young actor last year. I think it was only his first or second show. I can't remember second show, but he was a bit nervous. And I said, look, man, no, just, we're just having fun. It's just me and you sitting here talking, hanging out having a good time. And it was so relaxed and so easy. And when they watch the scene, it's so relaxed, so natural and so wonderful. And you just go, and that's what it's all about. It's just, it's just enjoy what you're doing. You can be, you can be, you know, as emotional as all get out or whatever, but still just, you always remember that it, this is acting or, yeah. but I call it, you know, reacting is what I call it. But <laughs> And you're, uh, and you're still busy, man. Like even the last few years, like day of the dead tribal, oh, fun. you have so many different shows, even ones that are in post-production right now. So yeah. you're still, you're yeah, still working. I, I'm still at it. Yeah. yeah. Tribal was fun. I, I really loved that show. It was one of my favorites. I had some great work in that. One of my one of my all time favorite shows to series to work on was uh, Cold Squad. Cold Squad. I was on seven years, I guess, and uh, it was like it was a joy to go to work because I my castmates were so wonderful and the directors and they were all just a great crew. I become great friends with a lot of them and and uh, just had a, a wonderful time. The Killing was a fantastic oh, yeah. show. That gal, Mire Enos, um, and uh, Joel Kinnaman. Man, what a treat to work with those guys. Yeah, that's a cool show. And then right before that, you were in another show that I liked. I looked at, oh, Alcatraz. You were in one episode of that. Oh, that was yeah. a funky show that should that show should have been on forever. It was so oh. cool. 
Great cast. So expensive. That's oh, it was? Yeah. And Sam Neill was so great. I really liked him. And the, the, the warden, the English guy, Johnny. Yeah. He was fantastic and just the nicest guy. And uh, Michael, Michael uh, Neal, who is uh, Sam Neill's daughter, was a singer. She came and sang at the place where I sing at all the time and played and hang out. And that was great fun. And that kid from uh, the kid from uh, what was the name of the show? Uh, oh, the lost Jorge Garcia. Was that Jorge Garcia? Yeah, Jorge Garcia yeah. was in it. And uh, the kid from uh, Mr. Mercedes, I think. The villain from Mr. Mercedes. I think that was him or or uh, iRobot. I can't remember. There's a, uh, I don't know if, uh, I'm looking at the cast, but I know Robert Forster was the was the main lead's dad. He was, he owned like the bar on the show. What was so expensive yeah. about it? Was it just... Oh, I don't know, but it just it would just cost a lot of oh, money, and, and apparently they just didn't uh, didn't know if it could go anywhere. But I thought it was amazing. The, I love the that. episodes I saw was just great. I was so pissed off when it got canceled. <laughs> I need to go back and watch it. I started watching Wise Guy again last night. I saw it on your oh, yeah. IMDb, and that first it's a great series, but the first ten episodes with uh, Ray Sharkey are just so good. Oh yeah, I did the pilot. That's the yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And then I did later on, years later, I did the uh, one episode as a bartender in that show. That's, uh, yeah, because I worked with uh, Jim Burns a lot. And, I, and uh, I remember that that was my first foray into the channel world, was Wise Guy. Because then after that, I did all those shows, uh, Viper and 21 Jump Street and Pure Luck and. All the candle shows, you know, the, yeah, they, they called me, uh, I, I had a, several directors that, they, that I used to work with, uh, Jim Contner and, uh, and uh, who else was in there? David Nutter, I think was there. And, and they were just wonderful. And they, 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 Contner used to always call me the go-to guy. I was the go-to guy. Nice. I need a cup, go to him. Yeah. <laughs> so I worked all the time on those shows. Man, Gary is great. The fact that he did so many of those nice things, like sending the kid that he saw in Cannon Beach, which me and my wife loved, uh, he sends him the the dead cat from the fly too, and then not a real dead cat, obviously. And then also he signs his head. He sees his own head in, in a in a makeup shop, which is so cool. Man, Gary was so great. And talking about Bronson, who doesn't love Bronson? You guys know we love Bronson over here. So uh, anytime you hear Bronson stories, that's great. But I love talking to Gary. The way he flipped into the A&W root beer. And he's like going into it. I'm like, oh, my God. I loved it so much. So thank you, Gary. And now your homework. Watch The Predator. I haven't seen it. So even as I'm recording this, I haven't watched it yet. But I'm excited because I love the cast. I remember really liking the trailer when I saw it. So... It'll be fun, and uh, Chris Egan, our horror sequel expert, is back for the first time since Hellraiser Inferno. Yep, the chess movie. So, uh, yeah. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night.